right, welcome to the show. This is the Western the Western Conference preview for the USL show. I'm Phil. I'm going to do my best to fill in for uh, Evan doing these Western Conference uh, previews. I'll be doing the first half of the show. Kevin McCamish of Play the Kids podcast will be doing the second half of the show while we um, while we do a little bit of preview of a few other teams, including mine. That way I'm not asking myself questions and answering them, uh, which could be awkward. Uh, but joining me tonight are, uh, I have Kyle Mankey of um, Texas Soccer Radio. I had to f- check myself there because I almost said pitch black. And Alicia <laughs> Rodriguez, who... Um, writes for uh, Angels on Parade, the SB Nation site for um, LAFC, uh, and the affiliate, which we're all going to talk about. Um, guys, thank you for joining me today. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing good, great. Doing thing. good. Very good. This is our second take uh, because <laughs> <laughs> we had some uh, difficulties, but um, this seems to be uh, something that's happening for the USL show uh, with these previews as we lost, uh, we lost Mike sparks in the last episode for the Eastern conference, but I th- hopefully we're uh, smooth sailing for the, for the rest of the night here tonight, but let's start talking about you guys. Let's introduce you and, and what you do. Kyle, tell me a little bit about what you're doing down South in San Antonio. Yeah. So I uh, used to be part of pitchblacknews.com and we rebranded for this season uh, the website is now called 210soccer.com, all spelled out, uh, 210soccer.com. And the podcast is now Texas Soccer Radio uh, with the new co-host, Larry Leathers, uh, one of my good friends from a million years ago. So uh, it, it's fun. We drink drinks and talk about <laughs> soccer. So it's it's good times. Sounds ideal. I forgot in my rush up to my uh, my top floor here to record to pick up my beer. Uh, so I'm missing it right now. You just made me miss it some more. But Larry Leathers, I mean... That's great. I'm sure everyone says that, but how great a Texas name is that? It's so good. That's about as Texas as it gets, except he's always wearing Miami Dolphins gear. So no kidding. We'll, we'll is, see what we can do. Is he not a Texas resident? Uh, you know, both of us are transplants, but we'll keep like that it. on the down low. We're, yeah, we're we won't talk anymore right? about that. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, Alicia, tell me a little bit about what you do out west. Uh, yeah, I run uh, Angels on Parade, which is the LAFC site for SB Nation. And then um, in addition to covering the expansion team, uh, we also cover Orange County FC, the uh, affiliate of, uh, of LAFC. So been doing that for a long time, been through a rebrand, been through a team dying, been through a team rebirth. So staying pretty busy over there. No kidding. And yeah, that's what I was looking up, you know, trying to prepare for today's conversation. Uh, I was looking at all the things OC has done in the recent past and I was like, oh, there's not a lot going on. But the more I looked into it, the more I saw a lot of news has happened in the last like year and a half, including all the things you mentioned there. And we're going to get into a few of those. Uh, But first, I think we'll dabble in a little bit of USL news. Uh, The Western folks talked a little bit about that, or the Eastern folks talked a little bit about this, uh, but this is the Western preview. And I'd like to hear, uh, I'm a little rusty on uh, everything going on in the West and how everything operates. Um, I've never talked to you two specifically, actually, so... Um, I'm hoping you guys can kind of give me a little bit better Western uh, perspective as uh, St. Louis comes back for a second time to the West. Um, let's talk about Division Two sanctioning. Alicia, how did this strike you uh, when you read the news the other day? Well, when I read it, um, I was 
I thought it was pretty predictable, but I was still getting a little bit nervous that it had taken so long <laughs> yeah. to uh, down. Um, but it came down. Um, they didn't call it provisional sanctioning. They said that there was a process whereby they would re-examine two years. Uh, so it was provisional without being provisional in name, but I think that still kind of attests to some progress that's been made over time. So um, it looks like, you know, moving on up for for the league overall. So I think it was expected, but it's also nice to see that they're on some sort of firm, firm footing at this point. Yeah. I, I think you put it perfectly. And I think it's funny also that you said, you know, provisional without saying provisional, they sure as heck didn't say the words provisional, did they? Um, but it was, it was implied in the announcement for sure. And, um, you know, two years is not a long time to get their stuff together. Granted, we've, we've kind of cut, some fat perhaps by losing four, uh, four whole teams, uh, in the process, most likely due to that. Kyle, um, how did, how did the news strike you when you read it? Yeah. Um, kind of the big thing we were talking about on our show was we all assumed it was going to happen with the division two sanctioning. So it was good to get the official word. Um, obviously reduction of teams is never good, even Mm. in NASL, as much fun as we had talking about Ryo OKC and their literal turf (laughs) wars and everything else that was going on. Um, to see Rochester take a break, Orlando take a break, it's a bummer, but, uh, hopefully we can find some permanency with our lower division clubs and kind of get some stability, um, now that things are starting to look a little more streamlined. Yeah, and, and stability is the key word, right, in USL, because that seems to be their strength for the most part, and, and perhaps cutting the fat is, is part of that process. Um, and maybe they'll come back. You know, they're all considering coming back, it seems like, and, and there may be a Division three for them to join as well. Um, but, you know, coming with this uh, Division two sanctioning, um, you know, solidifying things. We gained a few NASL clubs in the process. Um, gained a couple uh, expansion clubs in the process. And uh, that means my team, St. Louis, had to switch back over for the fourth year in a row. So we have a new conference alignment. Not a lot has changed for you guys. But, um, you know, when you when you started looking into the, the conference alignment, were you worried about what was anything changing? Did you just assume St. Louis was going to switch over and that was going to be it? Kyle, how, what did you think when you read that news? Uh, I think the big question for us was whether there was going to be a central uh, conference or not, if they were going to switch to the three conference system this year, mm-hmm. um, because it looks the way things line up, it looks like there's enough West Coast teams where San Antonio would end up in a central conference. Um, so kind of figured we'd see St. Louis, but not necessarily in this uh, scenario again. So welcome back to yeah. the West. But um, no, not not a big surprise to end up in the West, but also won't be surprised to end up in a central conference down the road. And that'll be interesting, too, to uh, play Cincinnati and Indy again, the old NASL rivalry back in action. So it'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Alicia, any thoughts on that and, and maybe even talking about the possibility of a, of a central conference? Yeah, I mean, from a selfish perspective, you know, Orange County SC is, I don't know, maybe 30 miles from the ocean. Hmm. We're pretty set on it being in the Western Conference. <laughs> like, the conference alignment thing really doesn't matter whatsoever, right. you know, to me in, in relation to the team that I cover. But, um, 
No, I mean, I, I think um, I think it makes a lot of sense to have uh, three conferences at this point, um, not least because of teams like St. Louis who are constantly flipping back and forth. And mm. I mean, on the other hand, you guys have the you know interesting part of getting to play basically all teams you know over a two year span. Whereas if you're way out in one corner of the country. Um, understandably you're not going over to the east coast to play games but you really are pretty limited in the number of opponents you have um and you guys get to kind of get a taste of everything and you know see how the other half lives and that kind of thing um and and we don't really but i think um i mean seeing the growth of the league over time um and you know way back when uh orange county was the only team even remotely you know, like it was so far removed from the rest of the league when it was a really small, you know, seven, eight team league. Um, obviously it had to be built out, but the league is so big now that, yeah. um, you know, we're going to have to do some more <laughs> dividing over time because it's, it's really getting pretty unwieldy for, um, you know, thinking of, of the league, even in terms of two conferences at this point. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I think I've been thinking about when, when you don't think about the other St. Louis complaints, which I'll get into in, in the other half of this episode, probably, but, um, you know, it is such a big, uh, or sorry, such a big league that, you know, we're splitting, there's 33 teams in two conferences. So even if we wanted to do a cross conference rival of some, some sort this year, there's no room. I mean, unless they added games, it's just not going to happen. Um, so that is definitely a downside. And then I guess the flip side to that is, you know, the central conference benefits, teams like St. Louis and San Antonio so much more than Orange County, like you're saying. Um, so that's something people should realize maybe when, when we're talking about the West, because um, if we do go to a three-conference system, obviously cross-conference games are going to become more you know prevalent. So you know who will Orange County play cross-conference at that point? You know what I mean? That's a long flight for them that, you know, maybe they would have taken anyway for, for some of the Western cities anyway. But um, do you think, you know, I guess if we're going to weigh the two, do you have a preference in that case, Alicia? Um, I mean, it's always interesting to see him go to like Tulsa and, yeah. you know, OKC and stuff and the Texas teams and everything like that. Um, but it is a long trip. I mean, compared to like going up and down the, the West Coast, I mean, it's now we have a couple more teams coming in. You know, we have, like, Fresno coming in. Reno came in last year. Like, that whole, like, West Coast corridor is really pretty stacked at this point. So there's mm-hmm. there's plenty of competition around. And um, I like the fact that, I mean, this sounds really simplistic, but um, Kyle probably understands this living Texas. Like, when you go out West, like, things are so far apart. Like, I, <laughs> I recently traveled across the country. I, I drove from Tennessee to Tennessee and back. Um, yeah, you know, it's an intense trip to do, (laughs) to do something like that. And, uh, yeah, like doing road trips, if you're in the Eastern conference, it's pretty easy because most of the road trips are, you know, six, seven hours, you can get to like two or three cities out here. (laughs) One city may take you, you know, nine or 10 hours to get to, or, you know, it's just, everything is just so far apart. So I'm glad that they've built everything out. Um, I, I would like to have some variety sometimes, but I also understand kind of the financial and, and physical logistics that that probably prevent that from happening more often. 
Yeah, Alicia, if we had more time, I'd be asking you about that trip. I love road trips and I got a <laughs> pop-up camper myself, actually. And so uh, I love to do that, but no time to talk about it today. Uh, perhaps another time, because I imagine we'll talk again. Kyle, any more thoughts on conference alignment or should we talk about home openers? Yeah, I would just... Oh man, sorry about that. Um, just real quick, I was going to mention one thing that I've heard about the Central Conference from a couple different resources around the league is that um, even though some of those cities are geographically closer, flying from San Antonio to LA is a way easier trip than having to take a bus to Tulsa it's or true. you know fly to one airport and then drive to another. So um, for certain cities, like RGV in particular, is way out far from everybody now. Uh, and potentially El Paso down the line. And, hmm. you know, just because they're closer geographically doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an easier trip. So uh, we may see some road wear and tear on those central teams that we don't see on the east and west. Could be. That is something, I, you know, we should all try to ask our players this season is, you know, let's compare, especially us in the west, let's compare bus trips to flights. You know, which one do you prefer? Because they may prefer flights because... You know, at that point, you know, a flight to Portland isn't much different than a, a flight to to L.A. Maybe it is to them, and I, I'll definitely ask them. But that's really, really good point. Um, let's talk about home openers, though, moving things right along. I This is the one thing I didn't look up and write down for us all in the notes. So I'm going to let you guys tell me what your home openers are. And um, while you're at it, why don't you give me what your favorite might be this, this season? Kyle, let's start with you. Um, I, you know, to be totally honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed with some of the home openers. I was hoping it would be kind of more of a rivalry thing. In the West, um, I actually think they're kind of bad. I think they're yeah. like pretty bad. There are a lot of good Eastern matchups, but yeah, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, San Antonio plays St. Louis, so, you know, easy win for San Antonio, obviously, Hey-o. but <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, just, I, I think it's interesting. I guess the, the mentality would be you're going to draw people to your home opener. So save your rivalry for later. But, hmm. um, yeah, it's nothing that I got really excited for. No offense to St. Louis, but no, um, I, I get know. it. <laughs> Alicia, what do you think? Uh, Orange County's home opener is March 17th against, uh, Phoenix rising and kind of in a similar vein, uh, I get the impression that the league is trying to build a rivalry between Phoenix and OC because hmm. obviously there's a local kind of Derby thing with uh, Los Dos, you know, since they're so close to each other. But um, LA Galaxy 2 also has a rivalry with Sacramento Republic. And so I think like the league wants yeah. OC to have a rivalry with Phoenix then, you know, to sort of, <laughs> you know, have a couple different rivalries. It really hasn't taken off yet, you know, like, Usually one of the teams is like super bad and the other team is, you know, pretty decent. And so the games tend to be pretty lopsided, mm-hmm. but you never know. Maybe this is the year it'll really catch fire and, and you know, the dreams of a, of a big rivalry will really take off. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know what? That's a perfect point that it, I do think they did try to strengthen those rivalries that maybe they want, they want to happen. Now that you say that, that's a really good point. Um, I think, um, you know, as St. Louis, I'm excited to play San Antonio early because you guys are a fun team to play. Um, But um, Colorado Springs is a good home opener for St. Louis. But I think the best one on the books, um, I think you mentioned, is it Sacramento and Phoenix? Is that one of them? Oh, shoot. See, this is where I should have looked them up. But Sacramento is playing someone pretty – oh, no. Yeah, Sacramento, Phoenix. San Antonio. 
It is Sacramento, San Antonio. Okay. Yeah. I think that's by far the best one. And I don't even think it's close in the West with, with the good matchups and the openers. So, you know, I guess moving on, is there anything else we want to talk about home openers? I'm just looking forward to the rest of the uh, schedule. See how, uh, how it takes out and hopefully it'll be coming down pretty soon. I hope so too. Um, everyone seems to be doing their preseason announcements right now. Like yeah, like today. And I think tomorrow a couple are coming out. So hopefully right behind those, maybe a day or two later, maybe we'll get that, that, that schedule. I have no information on that. Anyone else? No. Okay. I, I just think it's funny Portland, you know, after all the talk of them hardly fielding a team last year and everything else, now they don't have a home game until April 18th. It looks like for T2. That's, pretty brutal for those guys who are following the the USL side. Yeah. I'll be talking to Kevin a little bit about that. And, uh, it's so weird, right? I I guess I think they have a stadium that works that gets the, the sanctioning. So, um, I don't know what's going on with that, but we'll have to, it's cause they're doing construction at Providence park. So everything has been, is being delayed, but obviously in the pecking order, T2 is at the bottom for the three teams that play there. So they probably got the, the worst draw of, the, of all of them. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, Alicia, let's, let's focus on your team for a little bit. Um, you know, we were talking about conference alignment and division two sanctioning and, um, you know, me being new in the West here, uh, we were talking in the first version of this show about how um, I assumed that OC, with all the changeover that was happening and, and the partnership with LAFC, it seemed like a really close partnership to the point where I, was, I wasn't I was sure whether they were going to be a two-team or an independent team. Uh, Alicia, can you clear that up for us to start with? Yeah, I, I think they're, at this point, an independent team, um, separate ownership, separate identities, um, and... I will say that I think uh, LAFC has, has provided some best practices, some some advice on business and marketing and that kind of thing uh, to Orange County SC. But I think for the most part, we'll see it be kind of the typical LAFC will loan several players over the course of a season to Orange County. And, um, you know, they'll mostly go about their own business uh, otherwise. But, uh, but yeah, that, I, I think at this point they're an independent yeah. And, and you were mentioning before, too, that, um, you know, they're sharing a lot of marketing kind of strategies. And then you said the crest and the color might have had something to do with them, which I very much like the crest and the colors that they chose seem to almost fit Orange County better. If you were to imagine what a crest and colors for Orange County would be, I feel like they kind of nailed that. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about their um, their relationship and, and how, you know, the things that they might share in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, to take a step back, so Orange County went through a lot of changes. Like, one of the things um, I'll say off the top is, like, nobody really pays any attention to this team, so... You're right. Uh, you know, like... They don't most get a lot of press. Who's on the team, what's happening, you know, like, they're pretty much, like, in a black hole where nobody's really paying any attention to what they're up to at, at all. So, um, basically, to take a step back and to kind of you know, take the big picture real quick. They got a new owner, um, roughly 18 months ago. Um, and then about a year ago they rebranded, like you said, they were the orange County blues. Now they're orange County SC completely changed their look, their colors. Um, I think one thing that they probably did was, um, have black as one of their 
primary colors in homage to LAFC because, you know, one of LAFC's main colors is black too. Um, so they've made a lot of changes. And then on top of that, they've uh, opened a new stadium uh, last summer. Uh, I think really showing kind of the um, rising professionalism around the organization and kind of higher ambitions for the club moving forward. And I think the original owner of the team, um, he was really important and instrumental to uh, staking a claim to make USL a national league um, prior to what was originally the Los Angeles Blues coming into the league. It was really a pretty regional league focused mostly in, in the Southeast and kind of East Coast. Um, so he played a really important role, but there was a long period where I think people were wondering what was going to mm-hmm. like what the future of the team was basically. And we've seen so many teams go out of business or drop out, drop down a league in recent years that it was an open question and a valid one. And so having this new owner come in, James Keston, who's, you know, really seems to be indicating that he's in it for the long haul. Um, and it's pretty important. And, and I think is uh, hopefully set them on a path that they can, uh, get even better and hopefully gain more exposure both locally but also you know around USL around American soccer you know as a whole overall yeah well and internationally perhaps in the near future it was huge news this the the Kasuke Honda announcement that he is um, taking part in I don't know if it's it's not necessarily ownership but um, what what is his relationship to the club and what will he be doing for them and with them yeah, so KSK Honda, he uh, trained with the team last summer uh, when he was out of contract. So the first thing was we were like, oh, this guy's going to sign <laughs> for LAFC. Like, okay, here we go. This is our designated player. You know, yeah. that was the start of it. Didn't turn out that way. He's uh, currently playing in Mexico for Pachuca. But as a result of the training stint, um, I guess he and uh, James Custon, the owner, kind of sat down to talking and and realized they wanted to maybe do some sort of partnership together. And so um, they haven't been exactly uh, open about the details, but um, I think it's been made clear more than once that uh, Honda's group is has an ownership stake in the, in the team. Okay. They're not majority owners, but they have an ownership stake. Um, so they do have some sort of financial, you know, uh, input into the team but I don't think they're going to be calling the shots as a whole or anything like that. There's not like a big takeover or anything like that. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. But I think the fact that there's actually some sort of money on the line here hmm. will probably help uh, keep Honda interested and involved to some extent with the team. And, and we'll see what kind of comes out of it because it's brand new. This is something that only came up um within the last two months. So it's, it's pretty, pretty recent news and mm-hmm. and we'll have to see if it really has any tangible um, benefits on the first team in 2018. Yeah. A few other things I read about that situation was that he does have clubs around the world, some in Africa and, you know, he has something going on with in Pachuca while he's there as well. Um, but I think, um, you know, he is just kind of putting these little, like in a cat, your academy is going to have a big play in this as well, right? Yeah. So one of the things that Orange County is doing is they're setting up like non-exclusive partnerships with uh, 
local academies and academy systems and that kind of thing. So instead of like starting their own academy and, um, you know, like Sacramento Republic, for example, has done that. I think San Antonio also has an academy, right, um, within their club. So instead of doing that, um, you know, kind of development academy pipeline, what they're doing is they're kind of trying to reach out to existing academies and I think offer opportunities where they can, you know, scout talent and maybe bring, sign some of these kids and, you know, offer um, opportunities to prospects without having to build the entire infrastructure from scratch because mm. um, there's pros and cons to both both ways of doing it. And I think they're just going to try and do this as a way of maintaining open ties with as many uh, local programs as they can and then also having an opportunity to, um, you know, get talent first before anybody else does. Um, but I think Honda's uh, Sotilo group, which runs a series of academies around the world, they say that they're going to try and get some players from that and, you know, presumably sign them to contracts in the future. Uh, you know, it, the proof will be in the pudding. I mean, mm -hmm. they could sign 25 kids and if they don't make the grade, then it's going to be kind of a, you know, it's not going to be real great. But if they, you know, find a couple guys that, have real potential and could really go on to do big things. And it could be a pretty savvy move. Yeah. I, we're hearing a lot of different groups are doing this kind of thing, especially I've heard of a few in Africa and in South America because it's so affordable to go in there. And there's such a, a good pool of talent in those countries that they can just go in for no money, find some talented kids and, and, you know, they are giving them better skills and more skills and hooking them up with agents. Um, but I think perhaps that's, that's his thought process is that, like you were saying, to kind of dip his hand in the United States, find some good athletes and train them up right and hook them up with the right people. Like you said, it could be good. It could be bad. Uh, um, yeah. Just all depends on how good they're able to raise them up. But no matter what, it's very cool to inject some, some money and some energy into that, into that uh, club through Honda because that is exciting. Um, so that's some more news. Let's keep it moving along. You guys had a coaching change in the off season. If I'm not mistaken, you, you pulled in your assistant. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah. So, um, the Honda news has been, I think the big headliner this off season, but I think for those who, uh, are kind of interested in sort of the nitty gritty game stuff, um, you know, a pretty big story this off season was Logan Paz departing as head coach. Uh, he, only coached the team in 2017. I think, you know, on the field results weren't spectacular, but I think there was some promise. Um, I think there were some extenuating circumstances as to why their record wasn't as good as I think they were expecting. Mm. Um, and so he left. They said it was by mutual agreement. Uh, thought he was going to get a job with LAFC. Turned out he wasn't hired as an assistant, so maybe he'll do something else, or maybe he's just going on to some other venture moving forward. Curse you, um, Mark Dos Santos. He took his yeah, job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Orange County SC have uh, Braden Cloutier as their, their new head coach. And he's somebody that um, probably doesn't have a kind of a national profile. Um, he spent a little bit of time in MLS and he's a Kansas native. So I know some Kansas folks know about him, mm. but uh, he's been here kind of toiling behind the scenes in Southern California for quite a, quite a while. He was a, an assistant coach at Chivas USA for a couple years. And then he's been assistant coach at Orange County for three or four years. So um, I think he probably has a pretty good handle on kind of the local pro landscape. And it'll be interesting. This will be his first um, 
you know, pro head coaching job, you never know what these guys, you know, again, it's, they, they could turn out great or, you know, maybe he's meant to be an assistant, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does this year and, and hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll kind of show what he can do. You mentioned circumstances last year, things not necessarily going as, as they, as you would have hoped. And, uh, can you tell us about those circumstances? And if not, just kind of give us, um, maybe a slight recap where they stand before the off season started. Yeah. So, um, I think the, on the field, the teams started playing really well. Um, first six or seven games, they were, I think they'd only lost one game. They were playing all road games. They were doing really well. Um, seemed like they had a good style of soccer. Um, you know, I think we're all pretty familiar with the USL kind of traditional styles of soccer. And again, with so many teams coming into the league the last couple of years, I think the style is changing, mm-hmm. but um, they had a really good, like, flowing, attacking, passing game, something that you would, you know, ideally like to see in any soccer team. Um but over time, what happened was um, they backloaded their schedule because they were in the process of building their stadium. And they had a modular pop-up stadium for like a third of the season. And then for the final like two and a half, three months, they had their permanent stadium to play in. So they had a bunch of road games. They had a bunch of buys early in the season. And then the, the, the season was backloaded. And they had a few injuries, a few suspensions. And one thing kind of led to another by the time they got to that really busy part of the schedule, the wheels had fallen off and, and they just didn't have the resources to, you know, make up for whatever losses and for the, um, fixture congestion. And it was, it was brutal. So they went from being a team that was really promising that was like, well, they certainly look like they're going to get in the playoffs playing like this and they were getting results, but it was looking good too. Um, and then just, it, I, I really, you know, I don't know for sure if they would have gotten into the playoffs, but I think if they had had a more balanced kind of normal schedule, you know, that you would like that pretty much every other team had, um, I think they would have had a much better shot of making the postseason. But because they stacked so many games at the end and they just had this like mad dash to the end, uh, I think it doomed them. And, and so they, you know, they. They tried to stay in it to the end, but it, it really didn't come together. Yeah, there's a lot of circumstances all piling on top of each other. And, and something that is maybe not talked about enough is how healthy uh, Louisville City was able to stay throughout the whole season. And it, it makes a big difference, especially their roster being as small as it was. Um, sometimes the indie clubs can't just pull anyone in you know, when people get hurt. They got to have that depth built into their own club. So. Um, I definitely get that. Um, let's talk about your acquisitions and your losses in this off season. Um, I put up that, that table there and you know, I, I feel bad. I tried to pick out teams early. This is super early to be doing a preview. I tried to pick out teams that had a lot of players and you guys had such a good start to your, your player, um, you know, getting your players in that I thought you had more than this. So I apologize. Uh, you have, uh, five players on a four players right now, but man, there it's a good start. So let's, let's talk about maybe just pick one or two to talk about the players that you guys have coming back. Yeah. Um, with four players, a lot of, uh, balls up in the air at this point, we'll see what happens. Hmm. But, um, yeah, there's two guys returning, um, Zach Kobayashi, who's a 20 year old, attacking midfielder winger uh, I really like his game I think he's somebody who could really become a star 
uh, somebody who, when I saw that he was re-signed, I was really excited. Um, I think he was definitely one of the, like, two or three bright spots, you know, brightest spots on the team last year. And um, because he was so young, he didn't really start playing until the second half of the season. So I'm excited to see him for a full season and see what he can do and if he can really step up from what he did last year. Uh, the other one is Richard Chaplo, who's um, a veteran who uh, I think probably some people who have followed USL for a while probably have heard of him. He was embroiled in some controversy a couple years back. Hmm. Uh, Robbie Rogers accused him of uh, using a slur at him during a game. Oh, yeah. There was a investigation. No conclusions were made, but he was suspended for foul language. So, hmm. um, you know, he stayed on last year. I was really surprised he did. He's a veteran, um, you know, kind of one of those guys that USL teams, especially indie teams, bring in to, um, you know, provide that leadership and, you know, a good example in, in training and how to be a professional. Hmm. He's got some Premier League experience and stuff, but, um, Certainly a controversial figure, no doubt. And then um, they've also signed two more midfielders, guys who are pretty well-known around the league, um, Aiden Quinn, who's a San Diego native, so it's a sort of homecoming for him. You know, In a, in a broad sense, it's a homecoming of sorts. Um, he's bounced around a little bit, but I think he's, he's a pretty well-regarded midfielder in, in USL. And then Christian Duke, who had been the captain of Salt Park Rangers, um, you know, he's another guy that... I remember playing in the when Orange County played him in the playoffs a couple of years ago. You know, he was a guy that you wanted to to have on your team. So mm-hmm. I guess it's a good sign having a couple guys who have a, quite a bit of experience and um, you know are still young enough that maybe they can show some new things. But um, finding some stability, I think, is going to be important for this team uh, this this coming season. Yeah, stability. If if that's what you want, though, I mean, you guys have such a good midfield start here, and uh, definitely something you can build on. Uh, you know, as we figured out, obviously, you guys aren't a two team, and uh, I'd like to talk to you more about this, but I did want to mention um, for people that are listening that um, Alicia, you just wrote and released an article that was really good about the mock draft and how you got to take part in that this year with the SB Nation thing. Um, but you know, you mentioned talking about two players you would like to pick up or Hilliard Ars. Uh, from Stanford and, and Justin Fittes and uh, not you, but LAFC could get those guys pretty easily. At least Hilliard, they have their pick of, of him if they want him. Um, and so I, re- I recommend everybody go read that article. Um, but you know, quickly, Alicia, is that something perhaps you could see one or both of those players if they were to fall to LAFC this year? Yeah, um, potentially, because I think should either player end up on LAFC, they would probably be depth first and foremost um and you know getting them some playing time getting their feet wet in the professional game i definitely could see a situation where they would go to orange county for a bit you know play a handful of games and then you know be ready if if uh one of the guys ahead of them is going to a world cup for example Mm -hmm. something like that um there's bound to be at least a few games where uh, LAFC are going to need some of their depth players to, to come in. So yeah, I definitely, you know, you want to have that good balance of rookies who can contribute right away. Um, and you also want to have players who play somewhere or other. So hopefully this will be an arrangement that works out for both LAFC and Orange County SC, uh, this year. 
Yeah, and you can find that article on Angels on Parade, and uh, I recommend you go take a look at it. But moving on, Kyle, you still there, pal? <laughs> uh, I think so. Oh, thanks, uh, Alicia, please do jump in anywhere if you hear something. Just cut me off. I would love to hear your, your response to a few things um, uh, that we're talking about over here with San Antonio. But, Kyle, let's start with the recap of last year. How did the team kind of finish up the season, um, you know, quarterfinals, exit? Yeah, it was a pretty brutal end to the the season. It was obviously the team's only been around for two years. Um, This was the first year that they made the playoffs, uh, won their first round against Tulsa, and then went out on penalties against OKC, um, who is arguably, I know RGV is the in-state rival, but I I would argue that OKC is kind of the bigger rival Mm -hmm. of the two for San Antonio. Um, So that was a brutal ending to it. But uh, before that, they... Ended the year finishing second in the West. Um, they tried to give Salt Lake City a run for their money, but there was just no stopping Man. that train in the regular season. So um, all in all, I consider this season a success. I mean, it, for a second-year team to be challenging for the league uh, regular season title and then you know, making it to the second round of the playoffs, uh, that seems pretty solid to me. Uh, I guess it depends on who you ask, though. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But, um, you know, I thought San Antonio looked great and had a great year as well. I guess maybe their their sights are going to be set higher and expectations, I imagine, are to go up and up and up as they tend to do. Uh, but par- no small part of your success last year was Restrepo, your goalkeeper, uh, did a great job, obviously. Uh, but he didn't go to an MLS club uh, like other goalkeepers and perhaps at, in the East did. Um, have you talked to Restrepo about that at all or no? I haven't gotten a chance to talk to him personally yet. Um, players report officially, I believe next week or the mm. week after pretty soon. Um, and that's definitely something that I'm going to ask him about. Um, but the rumors that we heard and just the general assumption, he was the USL goalkeeper of the year last year. So he probably at least had discussions with MLS clubs. I'm sure. Um, but he fits really well with the system here. He's earned a lot of trust here. Um, and it's a place where he's going to get a lot of minutes if he can win that job over Matt Cardoni um, or keep that job over Matt Cardoni. So I think it's a good fit for him here. And it, it kind of makes more sense, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've had that debate about, you know, would you rather be a backup in MLS or would you rather get minutes in USL? And so that's, that's something, uh, if, I'll be listening to your show. Perhaps you'll get to ask him that question. I would love to hear more about it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about players in and out. I'll let you take it from here. Where would you like to start? Yeah, the biggest one, well, all three of the players that have been announced as out were kind of big players in the community here. Um, Billy Forbes, obviously, was the one that catches a lot of people's attention. Uh, He was the player of the month for the first month last year, and um, a really, he looked great at the beginning of the season and at the very end of the season, uh, is how I'll phrase that. Um, but then the other two, Devin Vega was a, a hometown kid and Michael Reed was a captain here for, um, both of the years that the club has been in existence. And, um, Billy Forbes and Devin Vega ended up in Phoenix. Michael Reed went to Nashville, um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see the club without them this year. Um, but players in kind of on actually, that same hold line, on, Kyle, cause I oh, actually yeah, yeah, want to hear I'll, a little I'll bit pause. about this. I apologize for interjecting here, <laughs> but those are 
big deals. Like, first of all, I think it's interesting because Phoenix Rising is still, I kind of touched on this and Alicia, I'm actually, let's start with you on this actually. Do you guys think Phoenix Rising, first of all, you get, neither one of you guys have that out for Phoenix by any means, right? You guys are fine with them. It's not sure, like, right? okay. So my <laughs> one, my curiosity is, it, do you think if they go on a crazy run this year, obviously they had a crazy run at the end, but you know, playoffs, they were a non-factor and everything. So, um, they're still kind of the good guy in the West, but they have a great team, which I'm going to hear all about in the second half of this episode. Uh, do you think they're going to become the Cincinnati of the West? Would you guys start hating them if they became the the powerhouse by every player? I mean, they just stole two players from you, Kyle, but uh, Alicia, how would you feel about that? Um, I mean, unless they're like beating other teams, like, you know, nine to one or something <laughs> every week, then I probably, I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine. I, I think as long as, um, you know, as long as they're not like basically making a, a full on MLS team or something in USL and, and it's so far beyond everything, you know, what anybody else can do. I don't really think it's a problem. I think, I think having ambition shows should prove to the other teams mm-hmm. that you need to step up your game. And if, if it does that, I mean, that's what's happened in MLS you know, there's a few teams that kind of go out ahead of everybody else and then everyone else has to catch up in order to stay competitive. If the same thing happens in USL, provided the owners, you know, have good business plans and enough money to see it out, then I would love to see that. I'd love mm. to see some sort of arms race that's pushing everyone on. I, I think that that would be better for everybody. Alicia, just killing the drama I'm trying to falsely create <laughs> with with competent, <laughs> good thinking. Uh, uh, no, I think you're dead on there, Alicia. But um, Kyle, could you see them becoming, uh, you know, the, the team to hate in the West? Because I don't think there is one in the West. Is there? Um, I thought it was San Antonio for a minute, but I'm glad that we're not. Um, <laughs> No, I think yeah, with that attitude, really you'll never be hated in the West. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Screw you, Portland. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> fights now. Definitely Sacramento. Yeah. Sacramento. Oh, yeah. God, I hate I Sacramento. I wondered if maybe it was that. Built for USL, right? Yeah. No. Um, too, too far. Sorry. Well, we need <laughs> to really talk about that Sacramento. in a little bit. Um, so, no, Phoenix is really interesting. I think the more unique identities that there are in USL, the better the league is. Hmm. Um, but I wonder how much of an effect, like, Drogba still playing is having. Yeah. Um, because I know when San Antonio played Phoenix last year, Billy Forbes is talking about how Drogba was one of his favorite players. So... Um, you have to wonder how much that played into Forbes and maybe even Vega going to Phoenix and getting to play with this, you know, English legend from 20 years ago. So it's pretty cool that, you know, he's, he's there and we'll see what happens after. For the record, Forbes totally was quoted saying it'll be exciting to play with Drogba. <laughs> so I read that in one of those articles. But um, it's it's another big, huge deal to lose Michael Reed, your captain, to Nashville. Um, I, I didn't read enough into this, so I didn't know, is he a Nashville hometown boy? Or did they just kind of find a guy who they thought they could build around and, and went for it? He has some connections with some of the players that they've got already announced and with the coaching staff. So it's not a huge surprise that he may want to play there. Hmm. Um, I don't know that it's so much a move to try to get an MLS contract as much as just playing with people that he likes being around. Um, Just because what we saw here 
I don't see him being one of those guys that moves up from USL to MLS. I'm not trying to <laughs> feel like I'm taking all the hate shots now. I'm really not. He, he was a really solid USL player. Um, but I think it was more about, you know, playing a year with uh, a club that's doing some really cool things, admittedly. Yeah, without a doubt. They'll be fun to watch this year. Uh, but let's continue on with players coming in. We've, you know, you only lost three, uh, which is three, which is, you know, 75% of Alicia's team. <laughs> Not to hate on you, Alicia. I apologize. But no, let's talk about the players coming back and, and some new signings as well. So the main core of the team from last year has been announced already, which is really exciting because the team finished in second last year. Mm -hmm. So that bodes well. Um, The two um, new additions that we have so far are uh, Alex Bruce, who was with the SAF's training team last year, um, and Jose Escalante, which is super interesting uh, somebody that was with Houston and with RGV. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if anyone listens to the Texas Soccer Radio episode from this week, uh, Larry refers to him as Jose Effing Escalante <laughs> um, because that's what we've known him as for the last two years. So that's funny. it's really exciting to um, get him in basically to replace Billy Forbes on the left wing. And I think he has a really good chance of doing some really cool things with um, some of the other players that are around on the opposite side, it'll probably be Omar Gordon on the right wing. Um, Chris Tierpak is still a question mark. We haven't heard. Hmm. Um, but then in the filling out the rest of the attacking third, um, Ever Guzman scored five goals in 11 appearances at the end of the season for San Antonio FC. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how that um, side of the field works out this year. I, I, going to sound like a homer, but it sounds like they're actually going to be pretty stacked at that end of the field in the starting 11. Um, defense is going to be solid. It's the same defense from the last two years, pretty much, um, with a potential goalkeeper battle between Diego Restrepo and Matt Cardoni. Hmm. I think Restrepo probably has the edge going into camp, just having one USL goalkeeper of the year. Um, but Cardoni actually beat him out at the beginning of 2017. Oh, wow. Um, when they were both competing for that starting role, it was Cardoni first, uh, and Restrepo came in after five games when Cardoni had a season and an injury. So, wow. um, it, it would be pretty interesting for Restrepo to be benched after taking home the top honors, but it's possible. It's, it's, I won't say likely, but it's definitely not unlikely. And I think that goalkeeper story last year is one of the most interesting ones around the league because, I mean, the fact that Restrepo didn't even start as a starter, he gets thrown into the action and then he just takes off. I mean, I think it was was pretty incredible. He was on his couch at home in preseason. He was ready to move on to the next point in his career, um, either coaching or getting out of soccer. Um, He was on his couch and they called him to – you know, be part of the squad either as a backup or a starter if he won the role, and you know the rest was history. Oh my gosh! And then he didn't even. Yeah, he was willing to just jump on the team just as a backup, and now look yeah. at him. This That's is really... kind of a common thread with the whole roster. Sorry, I won't rant on this for too long, no, but do. it's a lot of really, really chill guys, and there's definitely a certain 
attitude here um, that fits well with the city as well and uh, with the Spurs culture as a whole. So it's pretty cool to, to watch from orbit from just outside. Yeah. And I think, you know, the guys in the, in the East talked about this. It was a really good point by uh, pony in that episode where he mentioned, is it necessarily, I forget what coach said this um, actually, Brian Weigel brought this up. Coach Koch in Cincinnati said it's never good to kind of sit pat where you are. And so obviously he was referring to, to Louisville city. who's bringing practically their whole team back um, for another run. And so um, we have two different styles of, of rosters going right here. It's one thing to, you know, San Antonio is going to bring back mostly the same players with a few extra pieces. And Alicia looks like you're going to get almost all new players except for two so far. Um, uh, Alicia, let's start with you. Like, do you see the benefits of starting fresh and new, obviously new coach So this might've happened anyway, but, but what do you think? Uh, I mean, I think, Massive turnover is kind of the, it's traditionally been the way that it's worked in USL. I mean, I don't think that Orange County is necessarily an outlier in that regard. No. Um, you know, I think actually this offseason in particular, started last offseason, but this offseason in particular, signings have been made way earlier than ever before. Like just three years ago, teams were waiting till like mid-February to start making signings. <laughs> much and now it's like they're getting their business done in like October it's crazy I mean I think it's I think it's better it's better for the players because they have some peace of mind that they know where they're going to play it's good because the teams can are constructing their rosters I you know I don't want to insult GMs and stuff you know around the league but it I had the impression in the past that they were very reactive to Mm roster building like who's available all right I'll snap up this guy and I got a contact of this college kid you know he might work out whatever like just kind of doing stuff on the fly and I see more teams that are actually seem to be putting some sort of like coherent plan together and you know having a longer runway to build putting that together and obviously the nature of the league is there's always going to be a lot of stuff happening at the last minute but um So in that way, I don't think it's really, you know, a surprise to see Orange County being a little bit slow so far. That's what they've done every single season um, in their history. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would like to see some more stability, you know, bring back the good players and don't bring back the not so good players. I think that's always a good, uh, you know, a good course to take. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's really hard to say at this point with only four guys around and, you know, training camp starting and you know, a week or two, um, we'll see what happens like we do every year, but, uh, hopefully more teams kind of get with the program of, of really doing that long runway in the future. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier too, is like this, this league is just evolving in so many different ways. And so, and it's so quickly in a lot of ways too. Uh, so it's been a lot, it's such a good time to cover USL. I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. And, and that's for sure. Of- I, I was going to say, I sound like an old person, like, repeatedly saying like back in the day it was like this (laughs) but I mean it really is and all this stuff is happening kind of at lightning speed you know like the real like building phase of USL has happened in the last like four years Mm -hmm. and the league has transformed so much in that time and in all the ways that you know we've talked about tonight so it's pretty interesting but um but yeah I mean back in my day things were different now they're changing (laughs) well yeah better I don't know about you, Kyle. I think I think 
you've only been around for a few years. I've been around for three years, a little bit more perhaps, but you know, it is funny because we can almost say that, you know, back in the day because of how, how much has changed in that amount of time. So, uh, Kyle, what do you think? I I like, I love the fact that you guys brought back so many players in that a lot of them are defense, kind of like what you were saying, why change that defense? And then you add a few attackers, like, um, you might be going against what, what Koch is, is, is pushing perhaps, um, whether he believes it or not, it's a good thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's interesting how San Antonio FC is built because Darren Powell's system is very defensively heavy. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, not going to produce those, you know, seven, six final scores or anything like that. They call him the Bob um, Lilly of the West. Is that what they call him? That's right. <laughs> Bob Lilly of the West. Um, the Bob Lilly special. But yeah, it, it's, I understand where that quote's coming from. But if Sebastian Biaga is able to come back, who is the USL Defender of the Year, um, whether or not he comes back, there's a really solid center back pairing. Um, and Greg Cochran at left back has the most minutes uh, of anyone in the club, uh, in club history. And I think the history there, um, they, they, they don't have a right back on the roster right now. But those three, <laughs> and, and of course the two goalkeepers, you have that history and um, Pekka in the midfield playing the six. Like That's going to be a really tough team to score on, no matter who's playing on the other half of the field, the other third of the field. So... Um, I, I'm, I'm excited for the roster so far. I do hope to see one or two more big signings. Um, but we'll see. Good stuff, guys. I've gone a little long. Uh, so let's wrap it up. Alicia, can you tell us exactly where to find you online and on Twitter and all, all of those things? Yeah, my work is, uh, available at a variety of, of locations, but, um, my Orange County SC coverage is currently at angelsonparade.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings. All right, Kyle, how about you? Um, you can find all of the San Antonio FC stuff that I do, along with the team that we have over there uh, at 210soccer.com or on Twitter at 210soccer. Uh, and you can hear us ramble on about uh, lots of soccer things at Texas Soccer Radio um, on iTunes or everywhere podcasts are available or TexasSoccerRadio.com. Uh, and you can follow me personally on Twitter at Kyle underscore Mankey, M-A-H-N-K-E, um, where I talk about soccer and a bunch of other stuff that people may or may not care about. But it's fun. <laughs> That's Twitter's true. Fun, right? It's true for all of us, right? All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming on tonight and talking. And, and thank you so much for all the, the good work you guys put out. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to need it getting reacquainted here. Uh, so everyone, if you are listening, you're going to hear a slight break and then Big Kev McCamish is going to take over hosting the rest of the episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is the USL Show, which is the second half of our Western preview. I am Kevin McCamish, uh, taking over for Phil Grooms, who's still with us. Um, and then we also have Dominic Kearns 
from Rising as One. Uh, it covers Phoenix Rising FC. And we'll be covering Phoenix Rising. We went a little bit long in the first half, so um, we're going to kind of cut out St. Louis FC. We'll do it another time. Focus on Phoenix Rising for the second part, and then we'll let everyone get on with your day. Um, so how are you doing, Dominic? Uh, Phil, how's everyone going? <laughs> it's good. It's good to talk to hey, Dominic I'm for the first great. time. Uh, we've already made some big signings. So. Yeah, well, and, let's... And as I was, yeah, I was just saying uh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Um, so we'll, we'll dig right into it. Uh, let's kind of recap where Phoenix Rising was at the end of the season. Um, you know, your, the run you went on, how many games you won, um, how you guys did in the, in the playoffs, that sort of thing. Kind of kind of describe how you guys ended the season. Sure thing. So you see us at the end of the season with 58 points. You see us at fifth in the West because the bottom four teams, one of which is Timbers 2, uh, did really, really poorly, especially in the second half of last year. So all the point totals in the West are a little inflated, but we got 58 points. Seems like a decent season. From August 5th through October 14th, Phoenix Rising won, I have it in front of me right now, 11 matches, lost one, and tied three. That by far was the best in USL during that stretch. Now, it was difficult because of the start, and then there were a lot of draws as Everyone was getting adjusted to Patrice Carterone, but at the end of the season, Phoenix Rising was on fire, and then a very, very tough playoff match that I could rank out for thirty minutes. I'll spare you all. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. That's good. Um, it's it was a very, very good run, and and of course, you know the T uh, two was not very good, um, <laughs> but you guys also had you know Didier Drogba, right? Didn't that help? Didier Drogba, yes, but really there were some great guys brought in, Patrice Carterone and some unsung heroes that I think had almost as much of an impact, if not just as much of an impact as Didier Drogba, um, especially yeah. in the back, which I'll get to later. When when did the the new coach take over? Was it when in the middle? When of the season? Because I I didn't uh, I never caught that last season when he when he was picked up or when they when they hired him. Yeah, so it was really a saga because we had three coaches last season. We had Yallop, who resigned after the 2-1 win over Los Dos. Then we had Rick Shantz filling in his interim coach. And then Patrice Carterone, his debut match was June 10th, the same match that Drogba did. It was a 2-1 win over Whitecaps, too. Okay. So maybe kind of a little bit of a new coach, a little boost, maybe some Drogba boost, all the, all the players you got picked up now there was uh, i think we were talked about a couple an episode or two ago we were talking about some of the players that we were excited about joining usl this season one of the players that i had actually chosen as one of my top three i think it was number three was um i, I forgot i forget his name is eluding me now but he was picked up by phoenix rising he's from ghana i believe and he used to play for your coach he's rejoining your head Just coach solomon asante that's yes. who it was yes asante um, how like how exciting is he? Is he one of your top exciting players that you guys picked up this season, or are there other people that kind of like say, "Hey, here's some other players you should keep, you should uh, keep an eye on in 2018." So I think Asante is one of the names just because he is unproven and a mystery. But if you see the highlights of him, and if you look back to the end of 2017, other foreign 
innings for performed really well. So I don't think there's too much concern about is he going to play at a solid, capable starting level. The real question is how great on the ball can he be? Will he be able to link the ball up? Will he be able to help us get more than we had last year? Because even when we were winning last year, we often did it with less than 50% possession. Hmm. That's interesting. So less than 50% possession, would you say that was a plan or it just kind of worked out that way? Because in the East, Charleston did very nicely without possession, um, especially in the beginning of the season. So uh, is that something that was planned or not Not really? Well, I think Patrice Carter-Rone, first and foremost, is a defensive coach. And the way that we attacked last year was very direct. Because you have threats up at the top like Drogba and Jason Johnson, we were fine absorbing stretches because we trusted our back four towards the end of the season. Vastly different story from the beginning of the season. Hmm. And then we knew that we could count on Drogba and Jason Johnson and Chris Cortez off the bench to come in and get those goals. So there were matches where even against Timbers 2, we had less than 50%. And there were a lot of matches we had even less than 45% and still won. I think it was somewhat deliberate, especially on the road. Now, is, would that be so? So your coach kind of likes to play more of like a, a counterattacking style, then, or is it just like like what's the type of style that he he's playing? And, and is that is that kind of helping or not helping? But is that kind of part of how you're getting lower percentage? I mean, because again, I mean, possession at at that rate is you know it's almost fifty fifty for as low as forty five, and and formations and stuff like that. You know, they're not they're not like the thing. It really just matters how everybody plays in, in the the way they want their coach to play. So if that's if that's the idea, if that's what they're going for, and they are they are uh, executing that that vision of your, of the coach, then they're going to succeed. Yeah. So we had um, it depended whether we were home or away, whether we had one striker or two strikers up top. A lot of times in away matches, we played a four two three one uh, that allowed usually. Um, Cody Lambert to play at one of the defensive mid spots and then we could build out of the back but on the road we were fine a lot of times just playing one striker up top and in a lot of those matches it was just Jason Johnson and uh, I think that wasn't intentional. we would have two starter or two strikers but we also do have a lot of creative midfielders and even more with some of the signings we added so I think you should expect to see more of that just one striker at the top it's really interesting. I like I like that you said that you know the coach is defensive minded or really focuses on that um, because people definitely you know if they just look at your roster, people definitely talk about uh, Phoenix Rising as being an attacking soccer team. Um, even you know I talked to our president who who went to Phoenix to check out the operations that that Phoenix Rising does and. They do a lot of things really well, uh, took a look at your stadium, and they liked a lot of the things they saw. But part of it was they, they talked about the attacking soccer, but it sounds almost like um, you know the coach can focus on defending, and there's just so much damn t- talent up top that they're able to kind of get goals in just by working their magic with the, just the pure talent um, while being able to defend in the back. Does that sound kind of accurate? I, I think it does. Um I mean, even in the early parts of the season, we were struggling when we went four wins and five losses. We never really struggled to score goals. The problem is 
we were conceding two, three goals a game in a lot of those matches. If you go back and look at the results. So the focus was always on, look, we need defense. Because even the matches we were winning in the in the beginning of the season, we had to come back from like one zero deficits in three of those four wins. It was absurd. So, um, so that was definitely a point of emphasis. And then strengthening that back line, I think ha- has oh, Phoenix gone. Ha- have has Phoenix Rising done anything to strengthen the back line? I mean, I know they picked up Joe Farrell from Rochester Rhinos, <laughs> Rhinos, and I know that uh, you guys have a new goalkeeper. I think he used to be with the Rapids. I think it was uh, Burner John. Burner. Um, outside of those two, I mean, is there anything else that they're doing, or or any potentially things that they're doing to help strengthen that backline, improve that defense, and just obviously be even more potentially more dangerous than they were in 2017? So, I think that that's the one position group where there's still less depth in the midfield. You have an absurd number of guys who are up there, and you have an absurd number of guys who are capable starters that. You know, for some teams that actually won't be returning, most likely for Phoenix Rising, just because we have a glut of guys. Uh, but at, at defense, it's interesting because we brought in Amadou Dia, who will most likely start at left back during midseason last year. We brought in Duiji Mala, who's going to be one of our center backs during midseason last year. We brought in Cody Wakasa, who played for us most of the season the day before opening night. <laughs> last year so a lot of these guys had to learn on the fly now they're going to have a full off season and so then you bring in joe farrell and we really didn't have to do too much in addition to the guys we already have it is tough because um two guys who were our center backs our first choice center backs last year um peter ramage and jordan stewart are no longer with us i think peter ramage retired and stewart i don't know i haven't heard anything about him so the center back positions, that's why we needed to go out and get Farrell. But if either Farrell or Mala gets hurt, that could be a tricky situation for us. So, Just as long as you score more goals than the other guy, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and that, that's, that's, you know, with, with so many creative players, hopefully it doesn't become a major concern. But you always want to cover your bases because, you know, up top and in the midfield, I feel confident that we are both those units are top two or three in the Western Conference pretty comfortably. If there's one area we could potentially slip up, it would be in the back, especially if there are injuries. Um, and and you know we brought in two keepers, John Burner and Dallas J. In addition to bringing back Carl Wozniacki, who was there back in the Arizona United days, but we did lose Josh Cohen. So, I mean, Josh. Cohen's going to really help out Sacramento Republic now. Hmm. Uh, I think we'll still get quality keeping, but we will see if the level is at the same level it was last year. In the first half of this episode, I was tra- I was talking to Kyle and Alicia, and um, I've just noticed, you know, Phoenix had such a good run at the end of the year last year, and if, if that continues and, and is maintained next year, it's really scary. And, um, you know, even after all the things we've talked about with the, the changes in coach midseason, bringing in a lot of players midseason to kind of shore things up, a lot of parallels to F, uh, FC Cincinnati um, in many regards. And so I was trying to I was trying to push their push my uh, agenda a little bit to kind of see if 
if if they felt like maybe Phoenix uh, might become you know the hated FC Cincinnati of the West. Um, I don't know if Western folks are a little more laid back or what. Um, that would make sense, actually, but they would not go with my idea. Um, but um, do you see those parallels? Do you feel like Phoenix could really pull ahead of the crowd with all the things they're doing um, next season? With I mean, everything's going as planned, I would say, for the club after you made that turn midseason. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything is going quicker, I think, than most fans would have predicted. Hmm. I mean, the first few years in USL, we were a laughingstock franchise. I didn't even follow them as much as my other podcaster. I really got into them more 2017, but went back, looked at the records. Last year was our first appearance, even making the playoffs. So, you know, for the national um, response was a little bit skeptical. Okay, they're bringing in Drogba, they're bringing in all these guys, they're bringing in Bravo, which deserved some skepticism because they did much but uh at first it was kind of a joke like hey they're mad decent but i think now that the second half you saw what we're really capable of i mean on paper i think the only roster that really stacked as ours is san antonio in the west so i think we are starting to see some clubs starting to get a little envious and holy smokes they went from a nothing club to this juggernaut in two years and I think it's why our rivalry with San Antonio stands to grow this season because San Antonio is another club that struggled some seasons and really rose to the top last year. Definitely. So <clears throat> kind of related to rivalries, we won't, we won't actually like speak of rivalries, but what are some, maybe what are your top two, maybe top three matchups that you're looking forward to uh, to see Phoenix Rising go against in 2018? I mean, I mean, well, I, I, we, I know we only have the home openers, but I mean, so we'll, I guess we'll limit it to Western Conference teams. So anyone in the anyone in the West, like who who are you looking forward to seeing Phoenix Rising play? I'm going to give the answer that a lot of supporters on our Twitter have given. I think everyone wants to go to Las Vegas away. That <laughs> that is by far like the number one thing that everyone says. We need that date so we can get it on our calendar. I, th- I think everyone, not just the Phoenix fans, wants to go to Las Vegas away. <laughs> I think I think half their stands will probably be people from all over the country, like just hey, we wanted to come to this away game, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think even like I think we even want to try to do the US- USL show, an episode in Vegas or something, just because you know it's Vegas. <laughs> Why not? Right? right. But I mean, even even taking it a step further, the closest road trip that we've had before Las Vegas are basically Los Dos or LA's two team and Orange County. And those are both six hours drive away. Hmm. If you're not stopping for bathroom breaks and whatnot, Las Vegas, now you're saying is only four and a half, five hours away. So it's already going to be our closest road trip. Then you throw in the fact that it is such a fun city to visit. And I think our fans want to go there and out chant their home fans. I don't know if it's going to turn out that way, but I think, a lot of people want a large Phoenix presence at that first Vegas away game. So that's why I say that's the number one. As far as other ones, I think everyone's pretty excited for a San Antonio match. Both matches we played them last year, they beat us 1-0. Mm. And the second one, I think even the most diehard San Antonio fans have to acknowledge that it was a complete crap 
penalty call in the 85th <laughs> minute that gave him the one. I mean, Restrepo made some great saves in that match, but the call that gave him that penalty to win 1-0, first off, it was outside of the ball, and second, the contact was so minimal. It was ridiculous. We all have so one, we, right? we are <laughs> We are licking our lips uh, for that rematch. Yeah, definitely. everyone's paying. Everyone's paying off the refs sometime, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I know, I know, I've made, I've made that drive from from Phoenix, like just just a little slightly north of Phoenix, all the way out to San Diego last year. Um, it was it was back in January, but I was going from my in laws' house all the way out to San Diego to cover the uh, U.S. Men's National Team friendly versus Serbia. Um, made that made that trip, and then did the game. And they went back all in one day, and that was a very, very long day. So oh my gosh. I know, I know, I know how far that drive can be. Well, four and a half hours—that's about as short I don't a trip remember, as you I don't can ask. How long? Yeah, I don't. Well, especially out kind of the southwest because everything's yeah. kind of far apart. I mean, from Phoenix to Tucson's what an hour and a half, two hours. Camera, hour, hour and, and a half. half if you're speeding. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I've probably done it in about an hour and a half. Then, maybe. <laughs> I have because so, I go I go, go down there all the time to visit my in laws, and then I usually time it around February so I can I can like check out uh, preseason stuff with the Timbers. Um, and since I was down there last last year, I went and covered the U.S. Men's National Team because Nagby was 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 uh, on the team at that point. But <laughs> but yeah, like I remember going cutting down to Interstate Eight, and then those mountains that that are just uh, east of San uh, San Diego. That was a those are a tough climb for a tiny little Toyota to get up and over. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's awesome that like Vegas is is at least closer for you guys and it's a big and deal. Uh, you know I I definitely would love to try to make it to a, an away game in Vegas because again it's Vegas. But I it, I've been there a bunch of times, you know, like I've been there before. But to actually go there for soccer feels like entirely different. Like a whole new thing. Like, oh my God, I'm going to Vegas to watch a, a live sporting event. Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> it's actually more like it's attractive to me, even if I wasn't there for soccer, which obviously is my favorite. But you, you know, going for sports to me is a little bit more worthwhile than obviously gambling, in, in my opinion, at least. And, uh, you know, shows, I like shows, but they're so damn expensive. So, I mean, this, this soccer, this Division Two soccer thing in Las Vegas is such a good idea. If it's affordable and it's fun, um, you know, you can do it during the and day. And you don't? <laughs> during the day, really? <laughs> well, that's on, true, I Vegas. Guess. That's probably a terrible idea. So, never mind. I know. Well, and, I mean, if we if you can survive Phoenix and, 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 uh, and Texas heat. They may also have a rule about, like, you have to use the lights, so it has to be at night because their name is the Las Vegas Lights. They're going to have lots of lights there, I bet, so. But anyway, well, enough talking about Las Vegas because this is is covering Phoenix Rising. We don't want to get those. Come on, they they didn't even sign anyone. I know, that's the big thing is we don't even know if the team's worth watching yet. Then I know we don't know if it's worth watching, but I think everyone's already booking a flight to, to watch their team play them away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So preseason, we can talk about. I want to hear about this mobile mini Sun Cup. Uh, tell me all about that really good lineup of teams for Phoenix to be a part of. Uh, that's really cool. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, what else? Do you- so, I mean, Phoenix Rising, the thing is, last season, the ownership group jumped in around September 2016. So, and then we didn't even have a stadium to play in until right before 
the season opener. So there really wasn't much of an opportunity. And plus, we were bringing in new guys. We were making a lot of signings in late February, even early March. So it was really inconceivable for us to be able to play MLS teams when they were in town and in Tucson in late January, early February. Mm. But I know that the front office wanted to make it a priority. Even back in August and September, they wanted to get some MLS teams, and they wanted to get at least one or two of them to the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex. And so uh, I I know that those guys have good relationships with a couple other uh, front offices around the league. I know that a couple of the owners in the group were at a sporting Kansas City game back in August, so maybe they ironed out the details for that match way back when, but uh, it's it's pretty exciting. So we have New York Red Bulls coming to the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex on February 10th. We have Colorado Rapids coming on Valentine's Day, the 14th, and then the following Saturday, the 17th, we have Sporting KC coming to town. And then based on how those matches go and how the other MLS matches down in Tucson go, we have one final match on the 24th in Tucson. Hmm. Preseason match versus to be determined. Yeah, I was just looking at the Timbers preseason schedule they released a couple days ago. Um, they'll be spending their entire preseason in Arizona since our stadium construction is going to prevent us from having our usual kind of uh, preseason tournament we usually have. Uh, and in fact, our home opener is not until middle of April anyway. But uh, I think it looks like for the Timbers, you know, they're they're pre- they're doing all of them in Tucson. They're taking on Houston, Dallas, Red Bull. So you know, not going against um, uh, Phoenix Rising, uh, unfortunately. You know, because that'll be kind of fun to watch. But one of the one of the, I think the ten team MLS teams will be down there for that uh, mobile mini cup. And I mean that's like I, I the way they used to call it like the Desert Diamond Cup. Oh yeah. Now it's the Mobile Mobile Mini Sun Cup. Um, it, it's just it's it's awesome to have these little like preseason tournaments that are just really cool, you know. They are. And yeah. this one this one seems to be pretty big now with with uh, one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven eleven MLS teams um, plus Phoenix and I think Tucson's playing as well. Are is yes. Tucson playing? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're going to get a couple matches in there. Um, and it, it does get bigger every year. Last year, there were nine MLS teams. Not too long ago, it would be a big thing if there were five or six. So it just it grows every year. I can also tell you that in the years to come, some in the front office are hoping that more of those matches come up to the general Phoenix area, and it becomes closer to a 50-50 split between matches down in Tucson versus the Phoenix Metro. Right now, it's all down in Tucson, but that's what they're... I think they're working towards that. So I'm I'm sure they will. I mean that sounds like, you know, both fair and, and the way it'll probably move move towards. Um and then of course next year I would be shocked if the Timbers don't spend their entire preseason down in Arizona as well. Because that's that's one of that's their normal like location to go to for the first part of preseason. Um and then since they can't do it here in town, they'll, you know, stay in Arizona for the whole month, I think preseason is. They travel down there on the 23rd of January and they'll come back on the 25th of February with a little bit like I think there's a week break where they come back and then go come back here, go back there. But, you know, stuff like that. So it's very exciting. Lots of lots of MLS teams, um, lots of preseason action. And, and I look forward to it getting even bigger. Uh, if, it's, if it's even bigger than it is next year, I might be able to go back to Arizona next year and actually participate and, and view and watch some of those games. That'll be really exciting. It'd be awesome. Yeah. 
So uh, anything else you'd like to tell us about Phoenix uh, before we start wrapping up? Yeah, I think we didn't get to go through all of the incoming players and some of the guys to look out for this upcoming season, guys that maybe were part of the lineup last year, but look for them to take a step. A couple guys that I'm really excited about. First one, Kavon Lambert. Uh, he came in another one of those mid-season guys early August for us. He's a defensive midfielder. He's already received caps for the Jamaican national team. He actually started for them in their quarterfinal match against Canada last year. And he's only 20 years old. And this kid has already come in, looked like a rock in the back. And he figures to, I'd like to think of on Lambert in because of that Jamaican connection. Um, but I mean, some other names too. Colin Fernandez was drafted by the Chicago Fire, and, and he just didn't quite crack it into the Chicago Fire lineup. Twenty-four. He with also last year, and he had a, it'll see whether he becomes dark because we have so many options in the mid. Um, and and then of course the big. Big name that somehow we haven't even discussed. I mean, Billy Forbes in our starting lineup every week. Maybe we put him as an attacking wing as opposed to the front man. But the thing is, there is such great roster flexibility now. We can play Jason Johnson and Billy Forbes together and sit Didier Drogba if we need to. If Didier has an, an injury that he can sit, no problem, Didier. Take your time. Save it for what really matters. And so this brings me into another that we didn't mention before. I think Phoenix Wright is going to have a real shot for a cup run this year in the U.S. Open Cup. I would be stunned if they don't at least make the fourth round. Last year, we lost to the San Francisco Deltas in the third round. Another match that I could... Don't give me started it off when it, it was awful. They deflected free kick in the 70th minute. We tied it in the 84th. And then in stoppage time, the feed goes black. And then when it comes back on, the game's over. And then when you see the replay of it, it's just a, a dumb trickler into the middle that like that. a defender and a player like take each other out and the keeper misses it and it's just a roller right there for uh, Wiedemann, I think. It's such a classic U.S. It's such an, a classic Open Cup situation, going black and then coming back to that. It's there's been a yeah. few instances of that sort of thing happening, and, and you know, U.S. Open Cup is borderline comical at times. <laughs> it's so crazy it, it is, but but let me I mean let me give you some names that are not going to be starters most likely that can come on and start for us in a cup match and they'll be very well rested. I mean, you have Dallas J probably won't get too many regular season start. Yeah. Believe that it's Carl was and uh, John Bernard that'll split time in the sticks. And Alexander Rigi had a great season for us last year, but we have so many options in the field. He might not get to start every match. Uh, so he could come off as a really rested guy. Chris Cortez who had a real knack for goal, especially getting up in the air on headers off of set pieces last year, he'll be able to come off the bench. 
um, Victor Vasquez, who was starting for us for a large part of the early season. He's probably going to be on the bench for most of the season. He could come in for a cup match and thrive. And so there's just so much more depth with this team than we had at this point last season. I mean, I feel really confident right now. There are 17 guys on the roster and I feel like all of them are at a starting, you know, they're legitimate starters in the USL and a lot of them are going to be on the bench because that's just the way our team's looking right now. Yeah, but that's that's good. It's almost necessary, especially I, w- I want to say like the top USL clubs are looking at the Open Cup as being something they need to be prepared to to try to thrive like, and, and like get a far. Cincy, right? Exactly, exactly. And so I would say you guys are a little behind because Cincy has twenty four players already. <laughs> uh, so I imagine they're they're already thinking ahead in that way. Um, but you know, the more starters you have on a top tier USL squad, the better your chances are in in that Open Cup. And I think you know, like I said, the top tier teams are starting to. Look at that, because look at how much press FC Cincinnati got. I mean, just tons and tons and tons of press. Can you imagine Phoenix Rising going that far into the Open Cup, beating one or two MLS squads, if not more, um, having Didier Drogba, you know, answering questions on ESPN for the US Open Cup on TV? Um, I mean, for goodness sake, it's a, it's a dream come true for USL um, pundits everywhere, honestly, if that were to, were to occur. So... I hope that happens, and I hope you continue to put more starting caliber players on on your squad because I'd like to see you guys make a good run. I I mean, everyone's hoping for the same out here. Uh, Again, with all the distractions going on at that time of the year, it was in early June when we bowed out of the Open Cup. Uh, It was really tough to keep that a priority. We were just trying to stay alive in the playoffs, but I I think this year you will see more of a focus on it, and we'll see if it works out. Very cool. Looking forward to it, absolutely. Looking forward to both seeing you know things rising and all the on all the teams, you know, as we start as we start ramping up towards twenty eighteen and, and taking off with those matches. So if Kev sounds depressed, it's because he's not part of the open cup. He felt really left out for the last like two or three minutes. <laughs> oh no 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 no. I am part of the open cup. I just get to watch the Timbers win the cup this oh, year. Oh good. Twenty eighteen, Portland Timbers are gonna win the US Open Cup. Just watch. Without Nagby. <laughs> I'm not to be honest, I'm not all that concerned with Nagby going away. Um, yeah, I'm actually, it's still very exciting to see with all of our changes and players we're picking up a new coach. It's, it's still exciting. It's, it's, it's an entirely new era. So that part's just kind of like, Hey, let's just see what we can do, you know? Yep. Um, but that's MLS, not USL. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I believe that wraps up the whole episode, right? Yeah. Um, so Dominic, where can people find you on the internet? Sure thing. So my Twitter handle is at Dom K 49 the rising is one podcast. You can find us on Twitter at rising pod. Uh, and then if you're just looking us up on the podcast apps, you can find us on iTunes on stitcher, uh, as the rising is one pod. So very easy to find very accessible. And if you ever want to just tweet at us, um, I'm usually the one on the Twitter page for the podcast account. And I like to have a lot of fun with that. So definitely get at us. Awesome. And then, uh, Phil, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, STL Soccer Report or Phil Grooms is P-H-I-L-L-G-R-O-O-M-S. That's two L's, two O's. Awesome, awesome. Your turn, Kyle. And I... Or Kyle, I did it! I did it! I knew I would. Kevin. You did it! 
you do it all the time in myself. our chats, and now you now you've done it on a recording. <sighs> the entire world's gonna know that my name's been changed. I, I am myself. Kevin. Kevin McCamish. <laughs> Kevin McCamish. You can find me at K McCamish PDX on Twitter. I am also behind the PTK podcast Twitter handle because my podcast, Play the Kids, is back. Uh, we just released our first episode of 2018 Good one. yesterday, or today, actually. So if you go over to BGN, of which we are a part of that network, you can check us out. Uh, USL show, of course, is also on BGN.FM. And I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dominic, but uh, Rising as One is also part of the BGN network. Yep. That it is. Yep. We're all friends so a here. Lot, a, lot, a lot of great podcasts you can catch on BGN. FM B is in boy. Because <laughs> when I was listening to my podcast last night, sometimes it sounded like I was saying VGN. I'm like, no, this is not a video game channel. <laughs> it's the beautiful game network, VGN.FM. Thanks, folks. Well so that'll be everything from us. Everyone have a Thanks great day. Thanks for having day. me. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Bye, everybody. Bye.